You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. IRIS, trusted by over 120,000 organizations, from FTSE 100 companies to micro-businesses. Welcome to the Success in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, one show going out every day of the week to 150 countries and 30,000 accountants and CPAs all over the world, we are thrilled to be finalizing our series of panels we're doing with authoritative, influential women leaders in the accounting and fintech world. And we have a stellar lineup of authoritative women leaders today. I'm going to get them to introduce themselves in just a moment. But we are putting diversity on the agenda. We're in crazy times. We're emerging from the pandemic in most countries. And there is a mandate for change. We know that accountants fulfill very important roles in the economy and they are standing in the gap with business owners and fencing off all the regulation and tax changes and all so many things. So we've got four great leaders here to talk about diversity and change and culture and leadership and what's really working in the accounting world. So, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Would you give us a little introduction so our watchers and listeners know who you are? Thank you. Yeah, I'm Tamara Lorzell, and I'm a partner with Convergence Coaching. I'm located in uh, just south of Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Twin Cities. And um, we have been providing leadership and coaching and strategic planning services for public accounting firms for 22 years in a remote and hybrid environment. That takes some doing. I, I'm almost tempted to ask you right out of the gate, Tamara, what's changed <laughs> in 22 years? And probably some of the answer is not a whole lot, right? Right. Well, I think the last three years escalated um, some change and saw that people can actually work anywhere, anytime. And we can talk more about that as we talk about diversity, too, because I think that helps us in that area. Definitely. The, the COVID pandemic has certainly been a catalyst for change. How much change we yet to see, but we'll talk about it. Lexi, lovely to have you with us. Please, an introduction from you. Thank you, Rob. My name is Lexi Kessler. I am actually the managing partner elect for Aronson. And effective January 1st, we're merging Aronson is, I'm partnering with Aronson. We're merging in with Aprio, um, another firm that's uh, will be a top 25 combined firm. They're headquartered out of Atlanta. I am based um, right outside of Washington, D.C. and Rockville, Maryland. And my role will be the uh, regional managing partner or leader for the for the new combined firm. Well, congratulations on that. And we uh, we interviewed a guy called Matt Snow. He's the chairman of Forvis, formerly GHD and BKD. And uh, I went to visit him in Charlotte. My daughter just started studying there at ECU. And uh, so I sat down with Matt. And one of the things that came out from that is there are no firms too big to merge these days. So obviously, congratulations. That's the big, big merging of two very diverse cultures. So I'm sure that's going to be really interesting. Alexis, great to have you with us. Please, an introduction from you. Sure. Thank you, Alexis Becker. I am a partner with Freed Maxic based in Buffalo, New York. And I am fortunate enough to lead our accounting and advisory practice. Um, which really encompasses everything under the consulting umbrella, as well as, you know, full outsourced accounting services. So thanks for having me here today, Rob. And Terry, welcome to you as well. Thank you. I'm Terry Schaefer. I'm a partner with BDO, and I lead our Northeast Ohio assurance practices uh, here locally um, and appreciate the opportunity to chat with all of you and meet with all of you uh, fantastic leaders as well today. Well, let's kick off by inviting you to just make some opening remarks. And Alexis, I'll start with you on this, if I may. Diversity, equity, inclusion, we could add two more words there that have become popular. Justice and accessibility are also in the agenda. And it's things that perhaps we weren't talking about a few years ago, but they've really risen to the top of the agenda. So talk to us about why this is important and why workplaces need this. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, I think it's so interesting. you know, the world has just changed social media and overall access to data and different cultural details has just trained so drastically drastically, excuse me, and is really challenging companies to recognize gaps in diversity of thought and how important it is. I think it's been sped up even more by the pandemic, you know, talking about hybrid work, talking about remote work, people are now bringing their lives to work, right? We have little kids in the background, or we have a dog or a cat, 
and you're just starting to realize sometimes people have things going on at home that make you think about how they're reacting at work and just truly bringing their whole selves. And I think if you ask any business owner, what do they say their most valuable asset is, whether it's manufacturing or professional services, they say people. People are the most valuable asset. So really making sure we're creating environments where individuals can thrive and bring their unique perspectives to the table on business issues will only continue to help um, produce stronger business outcomes. Um, and I think the more we can bring those unique thoughts to the table, as we all know, you know, teamwork is better than just having your one perspective. You come up with a more full answer to an issue and may see sides of the problem that is a team that you wouldn't see individually. Lexi, why has DEI risen to the top of the agenda for you in your world? I, I think it's a couple of things, actually. You know, if you think about it, the conversation has been starting for a while. So I do think the conversation is beginning to take the next step um, in the evolution of where we need to get to, because in even in our internal councils, what should we title our council, right? We have a conversation now about, well, we got rid of equity. Well, we should probably put and put in belonging. Well, we should probably, you know, put that back in. Why did you get rid of equity? So there's really a lot of dialogue that's starting to happen, which I think is very positive, right? This Because the more that we get the conversation out there on the table, the faster that we can get to where we want to go. I also do think that there's a, a business imperative. We've always talked about this business imperative, but our profession has a significant pipeline issue. And that business imperative is making us think differently, right? And so it's very, this, that with the pandemic, I think has, as I think it was Alexa said, it has really kicked us into the future. Or Tamara, I apologize, who, who said it? One of you has said it. Um, I, I said it gave us a kick in the pants into the future, probably at least five years on where we need to function as an organization. So that business imperative piece, I think, has risen to the top. And we can talk later about some of the programs that are out there that are very exciting to see action beginning to happen to start to create that. And Terry, there is a need for strong female leadership. We'll talk perhaps about how men and women lead differently. Certainly women are known to have a more empathetic, compassionate, vulnerable style to their leadership than some men. But uh, diversity of all kinds, Lexi said it there, there's a strong business case for it, isn't there? Any other reasons for you why it's important? Well, from the leadership angle, what I've observed over the years, and I think dating way back to the men are from Mars, women are from Venus book, women tend to think through problems out loud. We we collaborate. We don't necessarily want you to solve them today, but, but we think about things in terms of a global picture and all the impact where not all, but many men tend to compartmentalize. We will fix problem A, but then there's a ripple effect. So I do think, and I appreciate both sides of the house, so to, be, to be clear, but I do think there's a value in how in... Um, different types of personalities think through problem solving and having more voices at the table definitely gets us to a better long-term solution. Um, and just to double back on what Lexi and Alexis both just talked about, you know, we have a short, if you look at it demographically, women are outpacing men in terms of coming into college. If we don't somehow have a pathway and mentorship and a pipeline, to getting um, greater diversity in leadership, we're going to lose that talent war as an overall industry um, or, or just professionally thinking um, in, in the workforce in totality. And I do think COVID impacted that greatly because when we had children at home and they were homeschooling and we were trying to navigate those waters, we saw a drop on professional leaders, women in leadership roles stepping aside to prioritize home. So we do need to figure this out. And Lexi, absolutely. That imperative became that much more uh demonstrated during the pandemic. Let's actually share one quick statistic. The World Economic Forum predicts that the pandemic has set gender equality back by an additional 36 years. Mm -hmm. That's spot on because of the because of the pandemic. I'm intrigued as to the drivers of that. What we do know are 53% of accountants in the world are women, but they are chronically underrepresented in leadership roles. So that, that's the backdrop. Tamara, I'm going to let you loose on this now because I know you, you won't hold back. And you're in a unique position in a consulting role where you talk to a number of firms rather than being sat at the top of one. So what's your view on all of this as we open things up? Well, so I think this access, you said like that word has been added, access and justice, I think is important for us to look at with this pipeline shortage that everybody's been talking about here. And it's how do we create access for those leadership roles for women, for underrepresented groups, that is not the traditional way that maybe historically uh, men in our profession have progressed. I think that's one of the barriers that still exists. And Terry, I agree 100%. I think um, the pandemic, we saw that women are still the primary caregivers at home, their number one role. And if I'm not winning at home, I am not going to pick work over that. 
where the opposite tends to be true in those differences you were talking about, that, you know, men um, still will pick their career first and often will have, you know, their wife or spouse or, you know, partner that is supporting at home. And so we have to figure out what are the structures, what are the barriers that are in place that prevent women from feeling like I can have both, like a man can have both. And so I think that is something that we have to really, you know, dissect and tear down and figure out, you know, new ways of, you know, building careers uh, in accounting. One of the things that's come out from the panels that we've done is the need for a competitive advantage and how difficult firms find it to differentiate themselves, not just in the client marketplace, but in the talent marketplace and employer brand. And when we talk about diversity of people, we also mean diversity of thought, don't we? The ability to innovate, the ability to present something different, the ability to showcase a career path for females, say, that other firms may not do, given there's so many of them out there. Alexis, you're nodding at that one. Yeah. And I really, you know, Tamara, thinking through what what you just said as well, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for this profession to really highlight what a wonderful environment we could create for men or women, right, who do want to put their family first. If you're in a private industry job, you're doing your job and you need to be there to do the job. You don't have peers who are your level and have your skill set that you can lean on. God forbid something happened to me, I can lean on one of my partners and say, I need you to step in. I need you to help me. And you have collaboration as well as from a career perspective, each path is different, right? There's a path to partner in each firm, but mine may be different than what Terry's was or... Um, Lexi, what yours was, and that's okay, and that's amazing, and not all jobs can offer that. Um, I think it's it's really such such an opportunity for us as CPAs to be out there and really advocating for ourselves differently. Um, and what a wonderful profession this is for women and men alike who really want to put their lives first, but do want a very meaningful career and know they can be challenged and know they can contribute value to their clients' businesses. Part of the talent problem is that there are people leaving accounting roles to go into industry, to go into fintech. They don't, they look at, well, we call it private practice here in the UK. You call it public accounting now. We're chartered your your CPA. They're saying, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be tied to a desk for 10 to 15 years in the hope of making partner and going down the equity model. So things are definitely changing. So we've set the scene here. Any final remarks from any of you as we move on to talking about the need for change as the backdrop for this conversation? I think that there is a beginning of a shift, though, with this next generation. Um, If there weren't, why would we put in so many paternity leave policies now? Right. So I do think it may take a little bit. But I do see the tide turning and how I, I, I kind of want to brag a little bit. I think that women created this 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 um, movement, so to say, uh, movement is quite the right word, but a, a need, a business imperative need to have this flexibility for a family. As we raised our children and as our children are entering the marketplace, our sons want to have that same flexibility in the marketplace. So I do see that that is beginning to shift because, and I feel like we're trendsetters. That's what we are. <laughs> Tamara? Yeah, I was just going to add, um, I love all of that, Lexi. And and I think that's, um, Alexis, what you said is this: I, there is no better time to be in accounting and to be a CPA. And you can create so many roles that have not existed before. And looking and seeing what the need is and how you can uniquely contribute to that need to create those roles now is the time. And, you know, there's many firms and many firm leaders that are change ready and open to that. And when you find those, then you can create um, a career path. You can create a way to contribute to the firm that, you know, maybe wasn't even thought of or invented before. So I just, as a backdrop, Rob, I would just add that. So let's move on and talk about the need for change. Certainly accounting as a profession is not known for its agility, its adaptability. It's been ever thus for thousands of years, it would appear. And with a business model with monthly annual recurring fees, there's not a lot of incentive beyond uh, legal and regulatory change for accountants to differ on any course of uh, action. So let me start with you on this one, Lexi. What needs to change in the accounting profession to make things like diversity, inclusion, non-issues, do you think? I do believe accountants do a checklist so you can hire. It's the inclusion piece that we struggle with right? as a profession. And I think that some of the things, it's also, somebody had touched on this earlier as well, the program that Center for Audit Quality has put out there about the Accounting Plus program, where it is actually doing a social media campaign to reach students that are in high school, specifically targeting underserved communities, because underserved communities, they may not even know what a CPA is because they don't have somebody in their family that is that. 
they may not even know that that's a possibility for professions. So I think that there's a significant awareness that needs to happen for people to even know it's a possibility for them. Terry, there are barriers that need to be broken down out there that that provokes change. And and I was just taking some notes, Lexi, following your lead there. But I think you know you've got a great panel when the panel members are taking notes from each other. That's (laughs) right. But I do think one of the big barriers is mentorship. And I don't I don't use that lightly. I know in our firm, the observation I had probably five or six years ago is that when we hired, um, let's say, a young man who was a manager, senior manager, when he looked to a mentor, he went to our then managing partner for a mentor. He went to the lead partner. If you hired a woman in the same capacity, she looked one level above. And she looked to a person who was just like herself, right? Maybe I just, I have new babies at home or I'm balancing two careers at home. Where when I took that step back, I started advising the younger women that I work with to go to the leader. There's no reason that you have to have a formal mentor that's somebody who's just like you. So learn how to break down barriers from a mentor, somebody who's outside of the one who looks and feels and talks just like you. And I think that's, we have to look at mentorship and have to look at career development with a diverse lens as well. Um, So I think that's one big barrier. And I think the continued flexibility. I mean, women in the workforce, men in the workforce, too. uh, The goal, Lexi, is that that flexibility. What do we do to make this more attractive? How does compensation need to change? We're losing talent on many levels because of our compensation models and the way um, firms tend to run. So I think those are some barriers. Because if I have the choice between paying daycare or childcare and that cost versus a reduced workload, how, how do I ba- balance the pro and con of that in, in my decision and in my career growth? So we need to look at this differently going forward. Tamara, what do you feel are some of the barriers that need to be overcome, particularly for underrepresented groups like I have kind of an interesting twist on that. I think one of the barriers for change right now is that we're making good money. So why change? <laughs> uh, so why change? That's a great point. I don't need to change. And so I think that creates a barrier for our future generations, or like Lexi, you said, for others to even see the possibility of accounting as a profession I could step into. And so um, it's one of the things that, you know, we have really been uh, strongly encouraging current leaders to step back or step aside and say, what does that next gen want in their firms as they're building it? What kind of clients do they want to serve? How do they want to do it? What does this hybrid model look like? What are the career paths look, you know, that we're looking for? What is the technology that we should be implementing and utilizing? Um, moving away from timesheets um, that are constraining us in our metrics and how we measure people, uh, how we price and bill. Um, I could get on a soapbox. You said soapbox, Rob. I could get on a soapbox about that. But so I, I think one of the barriers is we're making good money. And I know that kind of sounds odd, like, well, that's a good thing, right? Yes, it's a great thing. But I think it prevents us in some cases from making the needed changes for the future of the firm and the future of the profession. Well, who are the barriers to change in accounting firms? It's generally the senior partners with big equity in the firm and big payouts coming and they're old and they're baby boomers. And and what price change for them? It affects their payout. So if we were being brutally honest, they're not going to make a mandate for change, are they? Now, if we're generous leaders, that's one of you know the leadership attributes that we just strongly encourage and talk about is um, generosity as a core leadership value um, versus my selfish interest, which is what you were just pointing to, Rob. I have to set aside that selfish interest for the what I'm going to say greater good, right? But also the legacy, the continuity, the future you know, of the firm. And, and you know, it's a tricky balance, right? You know, um, uh, the equity leaders um, have put a lot of blood, sweat and tears and time and had, you know, good years and bad years in the recession in 2008, right? The whole list. But we also need to say, all right, that was yesterday. <laughs> Looking forward, what do we need to do? There's so much coming out here. I'm tempted to ask who runs a firm. Is it the managing partner or the, the senior partners with the big equity investments? We could also ask the question, <laughs> is there a need for a more corporate business model with a C-suite and and not what we've got right now. But we're we're straight enough to ask a little bit. Terry, what are the barriers for change as far as you can see? I'm I'm fortunate, right? I've I've been blessed with firms, to your point, that really had a very inclusive culture with them throughout my career. Um, So I feel like there's a willingness to change in, in leadership. I really do. And to get more diversity at the table, but without the right mentoring towards that outcome, without the leaders who truly take the step back and have those little tidbits that keep a woman engaged and, and see a path, it's, it's, you can't 
you can't get there, right? Like a, it's very easy for a woman to opt um, and prioritize the personal life versus the long-term career path without that leader in front of them who's, who's kind of pulling them along. So my, I keep coming back to mentorship and accessibility, Tamara, to your point. Yeah, you and sponsorship. Well, yes. Alexis, I've been holding you back on this one, but talk to us about <laughs> some of the barriers that you see. Yeah, and I'll add on to what to what Terry said is just in sponsorship, right? You, one, you can't have too many mentors. I think in public accounting, we always have a pretty structured mentorship program, but that doesn't mean that's your only mentor. You know, encouraging um, our staff to have people outside of public accounting, I think is just as important and making those introductions for them and then sponsoring them, help pull them up, help. You know, I love what Terry said about, you know, the females pick one level above and the males go to the managing partner. Um, I think that is something I'd never really thought about before, but is is very, very relevant. And another barrier, I unfortunately think there's still a pretty significant educational gap on what DEI is and why it's important. Um, you know, I see it more geographically here um, in Buffalo. I lived in Cincinnati for a long time. I think this is a very different area. It's a very, very strong community. Um, the staff we have here are absolutely incredible. Um, but there's definitely a different sense of just DEI even being understood. Are people inclusive? Are they kind? Yes. But it is still in the bias definition, not really in true DEI. This is why we need it. Um, and I think a little bit scary for some of our partners of, wait a minute, why do I need this? How am I going to pitch it to my other partners? Nonetheless, pitch it internally. But if you break it down, the actions we're taking are totally on a DEI path. It's not the, it's, it's almost explaining, but we're already doing these things and this is what we mean. And being more um, direct and articulate and taking the time to communicate those things. And this is what it is. This is why we're doing it. I think it's just as important, um, at least within, within our firm, especially. And that may well be why change is so glacial, given that if you asked 100 partners in an accounting firm what DEI is, you get 101 different answers. So as much as we're talking about it, there isn't a clear vocabulary for it. There isn't anyone with an authoritative voice about it that can say this is right. We're all in different firms with different cultures and different people and different weapons and different climates and everything else. So any final thoughts on the the, the agenda, the barriers to change and, and the burning platform perhaps that might be DEI? Can I, just one question. It's almost a question back to the panel. Is there an element of, I think BDO has done a fantastic job, I will say that at the forefront of really making DEI prominent, right? We do, we have a multicultural alliance every month, we're honoring some aspect. But when you think about the traditional paths for growth, development, sponsorship, it doesn't lend itself to DEI. So is there a threat there to the traditional way of the way it's always been done that now we're addressing head on? And so there's that natural tension and resistance. I think that's a very real part. I think that's spot on. I, I think there is. And, and I think that part of it is is also getting to the generous leadership comment you made, Tamara, earlier, right? It's 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 an inclusive piece of it. The way that you make change happen is by including your people. It's not all on your shoulders. And I think that there is a tendency from a generation, I tend to be like that, like, oh, I'm responsible for this. I need to do it. You know, it's like, no, include other people. You don't have to be the one doing all of it. And, and that is a mindset sh shift on it. Well, and I think that's an advocacy, Lexi, you know, is, um, you know, experiential opportunities, those learning opportunities is so important. And Alexis, I was thinking the exact same thing when you were saying definition, like we just need to do so much more educating um, on DE&I. And part of that education is hearing people's stories. I know a firm and they've do, done a great job of having different um, groups represent, you know, either their ethnic background or the LGBTQ community and the terminology, um, pronouns, learning, you know, why that's important. Um, you know, what's different for women and men, you know, at home and, you know, child rearing or responsibilities. What does that look like? And men do want uh, paternity, but listening to people's stories is, I think, a big part of that education. And if we could take the time to do that and share that and be generous, you know, and vulnerable, you know, sharing those stories, because um, it takes courage in some cases to share people's stories. Yes, I think that's, that's an excellent, excellent point. There is a case to be made that accounting has a problem with its image as a profession. We're not talking about other sectors here, but I read a statistic recently that said there are more people leaving accounting and dying and retiring and moving on than there are coming in. And why would a graduate look at an accounting degree to, for a $60,000, $70,000 a year salary when they can do a legal degree and double that? So are there any images 
sorry, are there any brand problems with accounting as a profession? We talk about how exciting it is, but still it is what it is. Yes. And and um, I can speak to that just a little bit from, I'm new to the AICPA board. And I know that there are some initiatives that aren't out there yet, but that are being explored to try to address that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that Center for Audit Quality, I thought was a great pilot program of really changing the image of what an accountant is and what does an accountant look like. Um, but there's no question that there is something that has to be figured out between the 150 requirement, which can't go away. It, it, it just can't. As much as we would like it to, it's too embedded. It would take too much and it's not going to fix what we're dealing with now. So I, I think that it, it is about a branding thing. Even the CPA qualification or the Chartered Accountant qualification, is that fit for purpose? Do we talk enough about technology? Do we talk enough about soft skills and, and leadership skills in the accountant qualification? Or is it double entry bookkeeping? And, and I'm part qualified as an accountant, but I'm a former high school math teacher. And I know there that I gave up teaching because I was teaching kids things that weren't relevant in real life, like Pythagoras theorem and right angle triangles and algebra that they're not really used. So it's, it's got to make it fit for purpose. Alex, if you've got a thought on that. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for all that we do and all that we learn every day. Um, I came to Freed at the end of 2020, had spent most of my career in public accounting, but did a five-year stint at a private company. And I think it opened my eyes to all sorts of things that I took for granted because a lot of us who had made partner in our firm had stayed, right? We didn't really jump around between different companies. We really were in this firm and we have our perspective and people pay us to be experts. So we expect to be experts. We have to be, you know, we have to be on, we have to know the answer or find the answer. Um, and I just think we're living in a very different world where you can't possibly be the expert of everything and you need to collaborate and we are set up to collaborate. We just need to give ourselves permission to do that. Um, not let the timesheet be a barrier to that. <laughs> Um, but I think it's really, really important that we also give ourselves credit and start marketing ourselves differently for all that you learn with this career. Cause I, I just don't know that we do that. We take it for granted, um, that our self-worth is in that CPA title when, you know, I'll, I'll take my dad's words of, you know, your friends know what that means. Not everybody knows what that means and how important it is. Everyone puts that as tax and that's just not all it is. So just, you know, helping advocate for the profession, I think is called for. And getting in front of the students, you know, speaking to them about the profession, whether like we're starting at community colleges now, and we're even getting some partners at the high schools, going into the high schools to talk about what it's about. Yeah, we're doing that here as well. It's exciting. I think too, and in part of reaching out to the students, um, I have four children, right? So my youngest two are maybe 16 and 19. My oldest two are closer to 30. And making what I do glamorous to them is a little bit tricky. But telling that story of what what makes what we do important, and we have a partner here who says, look, we are the guardians of the public trust. That's our job. And when you put it that way, that sounds way more interesting than saying I'm an auditor. And I think recent events that have hit the news, how, how could FTX have been prevented. And you go back to the Enron, the WorldCom, the far more frauds. I mean, it's not our job necessarily to prevent fraud, but it is our job to be there protecting the investor and protecting that group. And what does that mean? So adding a little bit of the glamour and the excitement for what we do, because as a college student, all I'll see are my first two years out, right? And I'm just going to be grinding 14 hours a day. And that, that's not it. There's a better story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I I think professionally, and Alexis, you said it, we don't necessarily value what we do to the market. As a profession, we've undercut each other just to, to gain new work instead of protecting our position to say, no, this is why we are the value that we are. And that's compromised our starting salaries relative mm -hmm. to our finance uh, fintech peers. And that's jeopardized that pipeline. Well, let's not dwell too much because we're putting a lot of wrongs right in the accounting profession generally, but, but we're talking about diversity. Let's move on to Tamara. Did you have a quick point you wanted to make there? I would just, um, I agree with everything that was said. I would just look at it from a different angle and that's the business model shifts that we need to make in accounting to make it um, more appealing to our young um, talent coming out of school. And, you know, looking at how we're you know, solving the capacity, getting creative about staffing, um, not requiring CPAs for everything that we're doing, um, you know, looking at that hours model. Um, and I love the idea of being guardians, Terry. I love that story. 
But the business model is the place I would also look. There's a whole bunch of different ways we should measuring success and metrics, and we could have a whole conversation of that. But I think that is, I think that is um, adding to our branding, you know, challenge as well as the story that we also need to be telling. Let's talk about leadership. You've all had interesting journeys. You've learned from mentors and people along the way. You've probably had negative role models. My father was an alcoholic and uh, I disowned him when I was 18. He was a former Green Beret Marine and had an accident in the Antarctic and came out and couldn't adapt to civilian life. And I'm on the record with this, but he was a lousy father. He's passed on now, but I, I'd like to think I'm a good father by doing everything that he didn't. So we do have these negative role models as well. So Terry, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, what shaped your leadership approach? And uh, do you think men lead differently to women? I do think men lead differently to women. I, I do think women fundamentally have that just nurturing aspect to how we grow and identify issues. Um, and again, like I said earlier, I think I think women tend to think out loud, which helps you be an effective leader. But what what's interesting is what shaped my development were male leaders. So uh, I, I had the great fortune of a few um, male leaders who were supporting their wives' career growth and development. And Alexis is nodding because we had a very <laughs> the same mentor, but um, they were able to empathize with my challenges as I evolved, and yet at the same time they were able to instill in me what it takes to be an effective leader and to lead men. Um, so I've, I've had the great fortune of having a kind of a gender blind career development, but I, I do think there's there's um, those fundamental differences. And I'll say the only other aspect, I once heard uh, a speaker who said, um, you can have it all, but you have to define what your all is. And I think that helped shape me, uh, that was probably mid-level of my career, helped shape me to think about what is it that's my all and, and how do I get there? And then that's what I in turn turn around and repeat with the folks around. Alexis, I know you're relating a lot to what Tara's saying. I'm just thinking in the complex world that we live in, fragile humans, mental well-being, hybrid working, the leaders of old can't cope with a workforce like that, can they? I think they can if they're willing to be vulnerable. I think, you know, that word's been used in this panel before, and I think it should be emphasized. Um, I think regardless of, you know, male or female, I think if we're all willing to be vulnerable and bring our whole selves to work and be that model, um, I think another important statement is we're all leaders, right? So I tell my staff that on my team, I don't care if you're the intern, you're still a leader um, in your own way and you're responsible for how you act and how you how you hold yourselves with clients and at work and with others. And when you need help, you need to speak up. I mean, that's just as important as us being leaders um, and being that role model. I, you know, very much relate to what Terry says. And, you know, Terry was one of my mentors and I'm thankful for her um, to help me through a lot of things as I was growing and developing. Um, women are definitely more empathetic and I value that. And I think what I've learned over the, you know, the past five to 10 years is while um, men may not be as empathetic, they're also not enablers. So how can we as women be empathetic while not enabling, right? So teach coping skills, versus explain away a problem, right? How can we be there in such a way that we are enabling all those leaders above, below us to be the best leader they can be, again, in their own unique way um, that makes the most sense for them, not necessarily fitting into this lane or this lane or this lane, but just for that unique individual. And Tamara, you speak a lot in your role at Convergence about leading in complex cultures and hybrid working environments. And I'm sure you deal with fragility and mental resilience too. What does good leadership look like for you? Well, you were asking about what's the difference between men and women. And I think women are more relational and men are tend to be more transactional. And I think that's been one of the hurdles, if you will, this you know quick pivot we made to remote in March of 2020 is how do I um, how do I nurture my team? How do I know what's going on? How do I tether them, you know, to me, to our organization in this hybrid environment? And um I, I think it's that um learning about your people, knowing them. I, Terry, I love that having it all. We say having it all. Sometimes I'm having too much of it all, but defining what it is for each individual 
I should know that every single individual in our organization needs to have, we would say a shepherd, you know, a career advisor, coach, mentor, whatever term you want to use. And you should be able to tell me, you know, what is going on in their life? What is having it all look like for them? And how do we make that all work, the holistic human being work and getting really comfortable with technology like this, you know, podcast, you know, video um, in person, you know, where appropriate and where we can, but um, I can build those relationships. I can know my people. I can tether them to me no matter when and where and how we're working together. So I think that's critical in leadership. I'm just smiling to myself thinking, it's okay having it all, but where do you put it? Right. <laughs> you can't it's keep it in your house. <laughs> yeah, you've started something there, Terry. It starts leaking out, right, Terry? I mean, yeah. having it all starts <laughs> leaking sure. it out. Yeah. It does. Lexi, talk to us about what good leaders look like in today's crazy world. You know, good leaders used to be where it was just within your company, right? And one of the things several years ago that I learned was I went outside of the walls of my firm. That's what I call it. And I encourage others to do that. Um, I think if you go outside the walls of the firm, you get differences, the diversity. How do people think differently? How do you see, well, it's not just how we do it. This is really where the profession is going. This is where the world is going. Get your head off your desk and go out there and just meet people. And and I think it's connecting our next generation with those individuals that can help them to see differently. And then they can formulate what they think. You know, they can learn from different people and then pick what works for them. So I think leadership isn't just a one-stop shop anymore. I think it needs to be multiple people, multiple places um, for people to really create who they want to be. And I think this next generation needs that because they'll come out of school and they're starting audit and they're like, this isn't what I want to do. And I want to leave and go someplace else. That's part of what prompted our merger was that we have more ability for them to come in and say, I want to do this, or I want to do that. That's that same concept. So I think having the ability from a leader perspective, don't be offended if you're not the only one they look to, right? That's okay. Vulnerabilities come up in this conversation. Men are not encouraged to show vulnerability. You show weakness on the playground, guess what? You get beaten up, you get bullied. So men have that mentality. The British call it the stiff upper lip for not showing any weaknesses. <laughs> not showing any vulnerabilities. And that can help you when you're leading a, a strong firm and everything's going well. But I've also heard stories from men that said, when I wasn't coping, there was nobody I could turn to. I couldn't admit to a weakness. I couldn't admit that I was struggling. One guy I interviewed tried to take his own life because he backed himself into such a hole. And unlike many women, he had nobody to confide in. And that presented a real struggle. So you're right. Women do talk. They they are happy to be vulnerable and share some weaknesses because they know they can lean into a strong network of other females in a way that perhaps men don't have. I mean, I'm stereotyping here, of course, but uh, as much as you're saying, I've learned from some great male leaders. Uh, there are things to be said on both sides. Any thoughts? There absolutely is. And I think that it's, I always joke around, use this for those Maxwell smart people, you know, the cone of secret silence, you know, you find, you find men or women where we get under the cone and we can have a conversation that stays with just us, you know, people that you can trust and friendships. Um, you know, I actually call them work husbands, you know, even the wife calls me the work wife, you know, because you, you, you trust that person that you can have vice versa that they can share with you. But some, I will say when the men tend to be a little bit more close to the chest, it takes a while and you can get a window. It's like kind of raising your children. You get a window and you grab that window when they get older, you stop what you're doing and you listen, right? Because you're going to get more insight to be able to be a stronger team together too. Well, I was just going to say vulnerability actually makes us stronger leaders. And I don't think we often think about it like that, but I can't be superhuman and then expect other people to see me. You know, I want them to view me as superhuman and perfect and have all the answers and have it all together all of the time. That's not attainable. That's intimidating, so isn't it? It's completely intimidating. And Lexi was saying, like, we got to look at other leaders and other role models, right? If I look at that role model, it's like, I can't attain that. So I'm not going to try. We talked about the branding image. Instead, here's where I'm doing well. You know, here's where I might be off. Sharing how I got through that, using the support, I think is critical. And we need to encourage that um, to be able to, you know, uh, say, how do we move through these different phases, either in my life, in my career, in our market, whatever might be going on. And there are ups and downs and that's okay. That's part of the journey. Yeah. One of my male mentors even said, you know, you got to let the balls fall out of there. Sometimes it's okay to fail. And I was like, I can't do that. Um, but, but when you do it, it does instigate change because people don't look at you as you failed. It was what happened. Why did the balls fall and what do we need to change so they don't fall again? It was never about a person. So just helping coach through 
those things, right? That safe space to fail. It is okay. It's okay to admit it because we all learn together and we're open and we communicate. Well, you you mentioned balls, Alexis. So I'm going to jump in here. The, the traditional male way of nurturing their staff is to say, grow a pair or, or man up <laughs> or pull yourself together. And we do lack that empathy. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. And men in a mentally fragile world where everybody's contending with something, it's very difficult for a lot of men to understand where women or other underrepresented groups are coming from. And with such a diverse workforce that we need to nurture through, if you've got a hammer, as a lot of men hold, to solve a problem, everything's that nail. So uh, maybe that diverse leadership is exactly what we need to navigate these murky waters. Well, I think there's a place for both. Um, we're a, we're a, a women-owned business, and also um, we our current team of eleven is all women. Um, and but we also have we run a little bit, you know, with no drama allowed. I love the enabling, Alexis. You know, it's like we got to pull it together and have compassion for what's been going on in people's lives. We've, you know, I had surgery this year. Another partner of mine had surgery this year. We had a maternity leave this year. We've had, you know, different things happen, two moves, house moves. Um, how do we manage through all of that without that iron fist? And we need to keep things progressing and moving. And so I think it's finding that balance, you know, you know, uh, that's so critical. People need that flexibility or whatever, but let's stay focused on what the end goal is, right? We still have to deliver something. You know, one of the easiest, simplest examples I've used with people, like we still have a job to do. We still have to deliver these things to our clients. I had an, uh, when I was back, when I was a manager a long time ago, you know, this, this group, it was a, an audit that was near the beach and I had a group beach house and they wanted to take off early on Friday. So this was not really what you did back then um, and head out. And I said, that's fine if you get the job done by noon on Friday. I said, that's perfect. So it created the expectation, right? And this is a very simple, dumbed down example of what and I'm sure they got it done. You're trying to say, yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoyed the weekend at the beach. Yeah. So it, it's more of like, but when life events do come up, it is needing you. I mean, I've been on both sides of that. And sadly, the past three years have been very difficult personally, but I had this amazing team that got me through it and made me really open my eyes to so much. You know, there's silver linings whenever you go through anything that's difficult, but it is having that and that focus of we still need to get this to the client, regardless of what happens in life. Do you know what I mean? And having that mindset and seeing in action is very powerful. I love the the iron fist um, wording because I look at it and Tamara, you went through a list of everything your organization has been through. And, and I always tell our team, you know, I had some personal challenges as well in the last couple of years, and but everybody has something. So let's figure out what everybody's something is, and then let's come together and solve it. it. And it's not about being tough and gritting your teeth and just driving through it and keeping that on a shelf somewhere else. But Alexis, you said it, bring your whole person, let's communicate, let's lead, let's not enable, there's still accountability and let's get it done. We'll have each other's backs when we need it, right? Absolutely. Like having that sense of community with your team of I'll support you in your time of need, and then you'll be there for me when I need it. And it doesn't all weigh on just you. And when, and when people in your, when your team sees your leaders doing that, that is that changes a culture. Let's pick up men for just a moment though, because we know that most uh, Fortune 500 CEOs are men. In the UK, most FTSE 100 leaders are men. And, and men are very single-minded when it comes to driving a big corporate organization. And there's a cost to be paid for that. Uh, Steve Jobs, you take Steve Jobs as an example. He was well known for being very difficult to deal with and very dismissive and brusque with his employees. This is on the record. And when asked about this, people adored him, but he didn't. they didn't necessarily like him. But when asked about this, he said, it's just because I want the thing that we're working on to be better. And he was just go away and make that memory twice as big in half the size. And no empathy about that, no bedside manner, as we would say about surgeons and doctors, but by goodness, he got the job done. So there is sometimes a need for leaders like that to hold the line and point to true north and all the softer stuff we might say is done by people around it. It's accountability. That hasn't changed. That still needs to be there. So let's wrap things up, ladies, and move to a close and get from you a few practical tips that our audience might take away. You can aim this at women or leaders generally. I had one of you say that uh, we're all leaders. And they say even the most introverted person in the world will influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. So we totally agree with that. So we're all leaders or leaders in the making. But for people who do want to lead better or promote a more diverse culture and a, a more inclusive working environment, uh, let's start with you, Alexis, on this one. What words of practical encouragement would you give to our audience today? I would just say be easier on yourself, right? Not every box need to, needs to be checked at all times. Um, I think women are often better leaders than they give themselves credit for. And men are often 
give themselves more credit than they are, you know, the quality of leader they are. So just, you know, make sure you speak up when you need it, set real ex- realistic expectations excuse me, expectations and just know what your definition of success is because it's not the same as somebody else's. Don't use somebody else as your barometer. That's very wise. I'm just thinking most men think they're great drivers, above average <laughs> drivers. Now, most <laughs> men can't be great drivers because by the law of averages, but men have a really high opinion of their own driving and perhaps the same in their own leadership that they think, I'm such a great leader. I have nothing to worry about. So uh, yeah. Anything else from you, Alexis, on on what it takes to lead well in today's crazy world? Um, I think just, you know, allowing yourself to um, be thoughtful of those you're leading, um, knowing that if someone's having a bad day, they may be having a bad day for something that they're not willing to share and that's okay. But again, drive that accountability and help them get back on their path. So I perhaps add to that from listening to many women doing these panels that to be that kind of leader that will listen to people talking about having a bad day, you've got to be the kind of leader that people will admit to you that they are having a bad day. You've got to be approachable. You've got to not have the kind of reaction which makes them think, I wish I hadn't have told him or her that. And that's a softer kind of leader that is perhaps a bit more vulnerable as we've been speaking about. You'd go along with that, Alexis, wouldn't you? Yeah, very much more servant leadership. Um, I think that's that has to be where we're all headed, honestly. I don't think you can be the type of leader anymore that has that iron fist and people are afraid of. I just, I don't think you're inspiring people the way they need to be inspired to do the job you need them to do. Terry, what would you tell people in closing? Just be self-aware. You know, uh, you have to be aware of your own actions to, Alexis, to your point. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be that person who they're they're comfortable uh, confiding in. And and there's times when you hold yourself accountable to a way that makes un- pe- other people uncomfortable. Uh, there's there's mannerisms, reactions that you have that set up those walls very quickly around someone else. So self-awareness is key. Um, we talked about balls earlier, but you know, someone said, how do you juggle? I don't juggle. All the balls are on the floor and I'm going to pick up, I'm going to continuously pick up the one that's the, the highest priority. So be self-aware, prioritize um, your days. And, and if you're not healthy, if you're not mentally in the right place, you can't be that leader for anybody else. And I do think particularly as women, we put our own health, our own person subordinate to the whole world around us. And every now and then you have to take that step back and reset and be self-aware enough to know when that is. You just can put in mind another question, Tara, that I'm going to ask you all before we finish, which is how you recharge your batteries. Yes, self-care. You've got to get yourself right. You've got to keep your own batteries filled up before you have the energy capacity to lead others. So uh, just have a few answers ready for that as I come around. But let's finish this off. Lexi, what would be your call to arms for our audience here to take away. So what I what has helped me tremendously, especially with the pandemic, is where are my places of empowerment? Um, where do I go to that helps me to take a step back and get energized again? Um, and from a professional perspective and, and personal, but from professional for me, it's been externally, it's been AICPA, uh, the Maryland State Societies. When I'm around real thought leaders and people that are thinking about the bigger picture, they get clarity and it helps me to deal with the minutiae I've been in that's been pulling me down. Um, so that really helps significantly. And I also think that there's a big difference between listening and hearing as a leader. And you need to be present when somebody is discussing a problem with you and hear what they are saying. I think that's critical. And to do that, you've got to ask good questions too, haven't you? Because not all responses come out. You've got to tease them and ease them out of there, don't you? You do. And the other hard part is that we have so many things coming at us, like fire hoses, you know, where it's the phone, it's the it's the instant messaging on your laptop while you're on a panel, whatever it is. And clearing your head is not an easy thing to do to be present for that conversation. It's a challenge. I'm just saying I know it needs to happen. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Tamara, we, we started with you and we'll end with you on this one. What, what's your warrior call to the people watching and listening? Well, and I would build on what you two were just discussing, this idea of listening and asking good questions. I think, you know, leaders today and into the future um, need to be curious and interested and go deeper. I think, you know, the volume you were just talking about and, you know, all the different communications, Lexi, and being pinged while we're doing this, um, we get really transactional in instead of pausing and finding out what's really going on, whether it's a personal matter or a business owner is having, you know, some challenges or they have some huge aspirations for 2023 that I'm pausing to listen, but ask more questions, be curious, be interested, that demonstrates care 
that also demonstrates, you know, my interest and, um, you know, how I can help you. And maybe I can't directly, but that team approach, Alexis, you were talking about, it might be in my organization or outside my organization. What kind of resources and tools and support can I provide um, for my employees, for my talent and for my clients? Um, And I think that curiosity and interest and care and concern, genuine care and concern, and we have to take the time to do that and not just move on to the next thing. Genuine caring concern and time are two things I haven't got as a man. I'm really struggling and challenged by that message. So, uh, but you're absolutely right, Tamara. It's what's required these days. Let's finish with a quick fire round. And Terry, I'll come to you again on this one. How do you recharge? How do you re-energize? Lex is giving a little example, but you need filling up. Somebody needs to pour into your life so that you can then do that for your team. So how do you do it? I'm a natural introvert. So for me to recharge means shutting everybody else down. Um, So I need that time alone. I need to focus and be centered. Um, I'm personally a a faith-based person. So my time on the weekend to be deep in thought, you know, whether it's prayer or surrounding myself with with those peers uh, helps me refocus and and just shutting out the noise, even if it's an hour, right? Um, And just being alone is what I sometimes need to clear the fog. And that's alone from everybody. That's alone from my husband. That's alone from my kids. It's alone from the phone. It's alone. It's not a highbrow response, Rob. It's just, that's that's me. <laughs> I totally get that. I'm committed Christian too. And, and having God in your life, just to see that as much as you're contending with this, someone else that's got it all in the palm of his hand is a very peaceful thought. I'm just thinking of the word introvert, extrovert, and many of us are situational extroverts in that when we're leading, we can turn it on if we want to. We can address an audience, we can empower a team, we can rile up a crowd. But when you ask us how we recharge, we want to be alone. We need some downtime. We need to get away from all of that. That's how we recharge. Uh, Tamara, how would you uh, keep the keep the shopping basket full, as we say here in the UK? <laughs> well, two things. One, like on a daily and weekly basis, I think exercise and being outdoors, you know, for me, I belong to a running group and it's a group of women. It's uh, moms on the run. And they, they, recharge me and being outside and you know just getting movement is huge for me longer term sitting on a beach for a week so that completely recharges me the sunshine the sand the sea um and so you know, uh, looking at long-term charge like that's my go-to what was the name of your group again mom's on the run dan stanley who i mentioned earlier we're doing a couple of shows with him has a movement called men and mountains he's based in wales and he takes 30 40 men up a mountain for a few miles once a month and they talk. So it's a great way of doing it. Lexi, how do you refill the fuel tank? So from a a quicker perspective, I love to cook and bake because I have to focus on what I'm doing, what I'm decorating, whatever it is I'm doing. I have, I have to clear my head. So that gets the noise out of my head for a little bit longer term. I, I love to see different cultures and the like. So traveling and I love what really helps is I've noticed if I go to a foreign country with a longer time zone difference, I really disconnect because I have to focus on where am I going? What am I ordering for my meal? It forces me to clear my head. And you're in a phenomenal place usually that you enjoy. So it's a win-win. <laughs> and as a leader, we're not just carrying our own problems, but everyone else's a lot of the time. So that sure, disconnecting. Yeah. Very, very important. Alexis, what about you? What's your secret? Yep. So I swim um, because I have found that in the pool, no one can talk to me. I don't have a device. I can just do my laps and kind of clear my head, let it all out. Sometimes if I'm struggling through a problem, it gives me the clarity I need to, to see it from a different angle. Um, and then, you know, same as Lexi, we, we love to travel, but our skiing is our passion. So um, making sure we get out west once a year and just Again, being outside where I can't reach for that phone and spending time, honestly, as silly as it sounds on the chairlift with my kids uninterrupted um, really, really helps. And it helps to see the world through their eyes. Well, this has been phenomenal. Thank you all so much for your vulnerability and your passion and your insights today. It's been a wonderful conversation. We've covered so much and uh, we hope that watchers and listeners will gain a few gems of wisdom and words of encouragement from everything that you've shared today. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Accountex, bringing the accounting world together.